coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. So, so when a company is evaluating whether or not they want to switch to the four-day work week, what I typically suggest is that you have small teams of six to eight people. I mean, to have probably three of these teams at once. So in that 100-person company, you're looking for a department. And then within that department, you're looking for a team. And we want a team that's made up of people with very similar job roles. We don't want to have an accountant and sales and creative and a front desk person. We want to have people that are all sales or they're all creative or they're all IT, or at least as close as we can get within that company structure. Yeah. Um, so that team with their supervisor will typically meet and talk about first, what are the KPIs, the key performance indicators that our team is already judged by? So is that you know, just gross sales? Is that, you know, client satisfaction? Is that how many tickets we get in and that we serve through the IT department? So figuring out what are the two, maybe three KPIs for that team that they're already judged on. So we're not starting from scratch. We're starting from, we already judge you on this. So let's look at, at how we're going to do that. So the next conversation after we've established the KPIs is for that team to establish what are the hard boundaries and what are the soft boundaries within this team in our free time? Because this whole mm -hmm. model is based on that if you can relax well, if you can disengage from work, you're going to be more creative and happier if you actually disengage. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Joe Sanook, who is the owner, founder, and consultant of Practice of the Practice. Now, Joe and I talk a lot about his new book that is coming out called Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work, Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. So basically, Joe's approach, and he he actually started doing this post, or I should say pre-pandemic, he teaches companies and individuals how to deploy a a four-day work week. You know, basically, you want to go through and evaluate your current strengths and weaknesses, and we get into you know the exact framework that he uses to be able to make sure that that you're on the right path. But basically, it's it's some self-reflection, some self-evaluation, and then on a company why they they have a a framework that they use that identifies you know, what's working, what's not working. And you sort of go through this experimental phase where you're, you know, tweaking things and refining things over a period of time. So what's, what's really, really interesting about this, I, I like that it's a sort of a scientific approach. It's not, you know, boom, we're going to go to four day work week. We're going to evaluate what, you know, what is working, what's not working and slowly make steps 
in that direction. And and obviously the whole concept, the whole idea behind this is to prevent burnout, to, to make people more creative, make them fresher, you know, make sure that they are able to be the best that they can be and show up for work and, and do the best work for you. And then they're able to step back and go back into their own lives and their own, you know, their own re- relaxation to be able to recharge, to come back and be, you know, again, refreshed and, and truly stimulated. So really, really an interesting way, a, a new way that many, many companies are starting to adopt. And as Joe says, this is a great process. If you do own a, a company, this is a great way to be able to start deploying this as a almost a retention type process. So, you know, a lot of a lot of other employers aren't going to be able to necessarily deploy a four-day work week in their facility. And we all know how valuable employees are today and how difficult it is to find employees. So this could be a great way to be able to make your company stand out over some other competitors that may be circling around the, the potential employees that you're looking to hire as well. So really, really an interesting concept. Great episode, Joe many thanks for being on the show and i hope that you the listener enjoy today's episode of pass the secret sauce yeah it, it was actually really interesting my mom was a school nurse who taught sex ed and my oh, wow. dad was a school psychologist who was raised catholic and so it would often consist of us asking some sort of question to my mom and her answering it very anatomically correct. And then my father saying, Mary Ellen, not at the dinner table. (laughs) And then I think another dynamic was uh, my parents often said, you never know if you're going to get invited to the White House to uh, have dinner. So you need to have good manners. And so, I mean, there's all these kind of competing dynamics of being ready for success, but then also talking about sex ed at the dinner table. That's funny. That is funny. So I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. So I like to joke, my dad was, uh, he was a stripper, right? So that, that's what, when everybody, when anybody asks that, I, that's what I always say, but I never, I don't think I've ever told this story on a podcast, but so he was a lithographer, which, you know, is basically, they, they would cut out old film and they would, you know, make like a, a magazine cover, right? So all of the different, you know, layers of film would all have to get layered on top of each other to be able to create that cover. So, so my dad was a stripper, your dad, or your mom was a, a sex ed teacher. Did you ever get any flack for, you know, what, what your parents did or any kind of like jabs or anything like that growing up? You know, I was lucky that my mom didn't teach sex ed in my own school. <laughs> so yeah, I went to a different school than where she was teaching sex ed. So I never had to experience that overlap, which yeah. I am grateful for. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, so uh, were you exposed to any type of entrepreneurialism or were you, did you have influences or anything like that growing up that, that kind of took you in that direction? Or were you the kid that was, you know, hawking candy on the street corner at, at, uh, at, in high school or anything? You know, it's interesting because, you know, both my parents worked for the school system. So most of the message that I received was get really good grades and someone will hire you. Yeah, I do, though, in retrospect, look back at a Kool-Aid stand that I had when I was five years old and I hired, I think, seven kids in the neighborhood to run it. So I didn't have to run it. And so I had them going in shifts. But I realized at the end of the day that after I had paid all of them and bought the next day's Kool-Aid that I had very little profit left over. So after probably three three or four days, I stopped doing it. But, you know, my my early experience in college was I was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. And, oh, wow. you know, that company taught me how to sell this $3,000 vacuum to people in a trailer park and to show yeah. them how they're going to make money off of it. So to me, 
business and entrepreneurship was about having a really crappy product that you sold to people that didn't need it or want it and to just use people with profit as the bottom line. So for a long time, business entrepreneurship, I put into a category of I want to stay as far away from that and kind of my values of you know social justice and helping people in the world and you know creating a world that's healthier than maybe we found it didn't seem to align with business. But later on that, you know, I kind of discovered that that's not always the case. Yeah, yeah. And w- what was it that that sort of opened your eyes to that, you know, to that other side? You know, I started as a 1099 contractor at a counseling practice, really just to pay off student loan debt and then uh, eventually started my own counseling practice on the side. And realized I was vastly underprepared from my counseling program to run a small business. I had never had a business course. And so in doing that and starting to read some business books and kind of understand just the basics of it, there was, you know, podcasts like Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income podcast or other business podcasts I listened to where I realized that it wasn't so much that that I had to be this slimy person, that I, I could still be myself, that I could amplify who I was and that... I believed in the product of counseling. I didn't believe in the product of that vacuum cleaner. And so to have counseling genuinely be changing people's lives and helping them have better marriages or be better parents or just be happier with themselves, I thought, well, I want to amplify that message. And so then that's where I realized that kind of the product itself for me needed to be something, at least for me personally, that, that I could stand behind, that I could believe in, that I could say, this is something I want to amplify to the world. And then instead of feeling like marketing was selling something to people that didn't need it, it was more, okay, marketing is making people aware of something that is actually going to make their lives better. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, obviously you can take the the marketing, whatever direction you want, you can go, you know, sort of more slimy direction and all of that. Did you, did you have any influences, you know, early on that, that kind of directed you in, in a direction that you resonated with? Is that, is that kind of how you adopted how you market today? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I remember being in like a Barnes and Noble or Borders books or some, some big bookstore and just in the marketing section and just standing there and looking at all these books. And there was this one camouflage book called Guerrilla Marketing. Oh yeah. Jay, yeah. And so, you know, pulled that out and, and looked at it and said, you know, like I've always been kind of punk rock and skateboarded and snowboarded and guerrilla marketing just as like a name. I like Rage Against the Machine. So yeah, I was yeah. like, I, I guess I'll buy this one. And I was just very lucky that I got this, you know, kind of business classic that said, you don't have to do it the same way as everybody else. And in fact, yeah. if you don't, you stand out differently. And so that really was the first book, you know, that would have been back in, I don't know, 2009 that I read yeah. that book. So that was the first book that showed me, okay, there are some strategies that aren't just your slimy strategies strategies that you can stand out in a way that is creative, is out of the box, makes you stand out and doesn't have to just be that you're pouring money into something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and when you, when you think of standing out, you know, from the crowd or some marketing things that you've done, you know, relatively recently that you felt were effective, does anything come to mind? Like, you know, some standout methods or processes or tools or whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, even just in, in launching this book, Thursday is the new Friday, I was a sponsor at Podcast Movement back in August of 2021. And I thought, you know, I can do this big call to action like everybody else or an insert. And so what I ended up doing was I just put, you know, 3000 sunglasses into the swag bag that were these cool wooden sunglasses. And all they said was Thursday is the new Friday with no description, no call mm-hmm. to action, like absolutely no context. People, yeah, people wouldn't even know there's a book. 
then yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. No, which, you know, from a marketing standpoint, people would say, what a waste of money. You know, I mean, that's going to cost you six grand to put all these sunglasses in plus the cost of it. And then I bought a full page insert within the program that talked about the book. Thursday is the new Friday. But what was interesting is a lot of people didn't make those connections, which was great because then when I would meet somebody, they'd say, Thursday is the new Friday. Where have I heard that? And they have like my sunglasses on the top of their head. (laughs) It's like I was in their brain before they knew I was in their brain. So by the time that they actually made that connection of, oh, Thursdays, the new Fridays, this book, they already were kind of like warmed up to the idea instead of so often you get these crappy inserts and, you know, everyone just recycles them or it's something that you've seen a million times in an insert, but people re- routinely said, oh my gosh, that's my favorite swag of the whole conference. Yeah. And I wasn't one of the major sponsors. I, I was one of the cheaper sponsors, but I thought through what do people need in Nashville? Well, they probably need sunglasses. And even if they take yeah. them home and their kids wear them, they're going to see these sunglasses like day after day after day. And, you know, as a result of that was able to get scheduled on around 200 podcasts within a really short period of time to then get out in front of people. Yeah. You were telling that story and it kind of reminded me of, have you ever heard of Zagarnik, the Zagarnik effect? You know, no, no. So, so the Zagarnik effect, I believe he was a Russian scientist, if I remember correctly, who discovered, um, and this kind of flows into marketing and actually Jay Conrad Levingston did some things with Ben Mack, and Ben Mack is the person who told me about the Zagarnik effect. So kind of interesting the way this all comes full circle. But anyway, so the Zagarnik effect is essentially the, the cliffhanger phenomenon, right? So when you're interrupting, you know, a thought process or you don't, you don't complete the story, people, people want to and, and, and are naturally curious about what the next step is or what is this thing right so you're tapping into to something that you know is is inherently you know sort of in the back of their, their mind and there's all kinds of studies of, that Zagarnik put together that how much more effective when you can you know do that pattern pattern interrupt or when you can you know not deliver the whole story how much more effective that type of marketing you know really is I, I shouldn't say marketing because he wasn't really using it for marketing purposes but how much more memorable that event is, you know, for, for people. So, so yeah, so, so great job there. So Thursday's new Friday, what, what, uh, what's the book about? Yeah. So the general premise of the book is how the four day work week is better for creativity and productivity. And so I really examine kind of historically, how did we even get the seven day week, the 40 hour work week? Uh, then we start internally in regards to our internal inclinations. And there's three internal inclinations that top performers naturally have that we, we kind of assess whether or not you have them naturally or whether they need to be developed. It's not mm-hmm. like pass fail, like, oh, you, you don't have them, you're out. It's more, okay, let's just know your baseline. Then we move into why slowing down actually is the key to being able to kill it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Most people run full tilt, you know, throughout the week and then they're burned out and stressed out. And then on the weekend, their weekends are, you know, full of soccer practice and grocery shopping and mowing the lawn. And then they're burned out on Monday and then they wonder why they can't do good work. So the neuro research is actually starting to challenge this idea that on one side, we have all these productivity books that are prescriptive. They give you this five steps and then that doesn't work because it doesn't actually link with the brain how it should. Or on the other side, we've got all these woo woo books that say, you know, make a vision board and manifest it to the universe and don't do anything. And the stuff's supposed to come true. And we're actually finding that the combination of that slowing down and speeding up is what makes people most effective and most productive. Uh, And so then we move into when you're ready to actually run full tilt. 
Uh, how do you actually do that? How do you learn your sprint type? So emerging mm -hmm. research is showing us that similar to personality types, there's sprint types. Interesting. You know, and, and so really kind of walking through that natural process of starting internal, then looking external while we slow down. And then when we're ready to do the good work, how do you do that most effectively with the neuro research? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So what are some of the things that you, how you identify what type of person you are? What are some of those steps or those, those processes that you go through? Yeah. So for the internal inclinations, we want to start with first, let me just kind of say what the three of them are. So the first internal inclination is curiosity. The second one is an outsider's perspective. And the third one is an ability to move on it. Um, so okay. let's start with curiosity. So typically we think, you know, whenever I was writing a chapter, I would just start with a blank whiteboard and say, okay, I'm writing about curiosity. If I was starting from scratch, what would I, my questions be? Or what would come to mind? And that idea of curiosity killed the cat came up. And I'm like, where did that come from? Actually, in 1910, the Washington Post had the front page headline said, curiosity killed the cat. There was this five days that this cat was stuck in a chimney and it made national news. So it was a super slow week for news and curiosity eventually killed that cat. And if we just say, okay, why are we teaching kids or ourselves that curiosity, like, don't be curious, you're going to die if you do that. Yeah, it's just yeah. ridiculous. And we see the top performers actually go the opposite way that instead of saying, oh, that Google ads campaign was a failure because of all these reasons, they say, oh, wow, we just spent a thousand dollars to have nobody click through. And we did all this work. And what did we learn about our audience from that? What did we learn about what works, what doesn't work? And they have that constant curiosity. The second internal inclination of having an outsider's perspective is really interesting because they found that statistically an outsider actually has more influence on an inside group than the insiders do. Uh, there's been all these different research studies. One of them was this, what they call the color study. And they brought together eight people and they showed either the color blue or the color green. And then most people would agree on most of the colors. There was a couple in the middle that maybe some people see as green and others see as blue. So the second part of the study, same amount of people, but they brought in two outsiders and these were participators with the research. And so there was occasionally these colors that were in the middle that when they were obviously green, they would say they were blue or when they were blue, they'd say green. And they found that they actually statistically had more influence as an outsider than the people <laughs> on the inside of the group. And there's all these other studies that, that I talk about that show that outsiders have all these statistical kind of ways of looking at the world. So, I mean, you even look at like Einstein or Elon Musk who were raised in different countries and then moved that they could just see things differently yeah. than maybe the insiders see them. And then that third one, the ability to move on it. You know, if we think about a spectrum on one side, we have speed and on the other side, we have accuracy. There are times in life we want accuracy. Like if I go under the knife and I'm, you know, I have my doctor and she's doing surgery on me, I don't care how long it takes. Yeah. yeah. Do it accurately. Yeah. But most of what we do as entrepreneurs, speed is more important than accuracy. We can usually adjust or change or reiterate or, you know, change things in the future if we go faster. So more times than not, it's better to not be paralyzed by perfection and to just get things done. Yeah. So if we start internally with, okay, where am I at on that? And we have a whole assessment in the book that people can kind of evaluate where they're at and then get tips on ways to improve it. But starting internally then makes that final kind of productivity that we get to more effective because we know ourselves first and now we can apply it on the productivity side. Interesting. Interesting. And, and then, so, so the, the premises of the book is to be able to establish who, like who you are internally, and then apply that process to be able to essentially slow yourself down 
you know, to, to so that you have more time or, or slow down what you're working on, I guess you can say, so that you have more time, take, you know, a little bit more time off and, and, you know, not, like you said, not burn yourself out, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, so if we back up just a little bit to think about how did we get this mindset of the 40 hour work week? Yeah. Uh, so, so Henry Ford in 1926 switched over from how the typical way was. So in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So they were working all the time. So in, in 1926, Henry Ford switched over Ford to be a 40 hour work week with the belief that people weren't going to buy a car to just get to work faster. But if they had a weekend where they were going to get to go do things that are fun, hang out with family, that they would buy a car in order to get there faster. Yeah. Uh, and that, would, that was true. So less than 100 years ago, this thing that feels so solid, like it's an institution of our world, the 40-hour work week, was just made up by a power broker. Yeah. So the yeah. industrialists gave us this mindset of, of automation, and it was a step forward at the time. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. But now post-pandemic, we're the generation that gets to say, do we want to keep doing it this way? Or have we outgrown the industrialists? Because I would argue that in almost every other way in life, we don't think like the industrialists. We don't look at people and say, you're just a part of the machine. You should just work nonstop. And all these other things that we've outgrown, the industrialists no longer have that say in our lives. And so I would actually say we're moving away from the industrialist era into more of a business evolution era. Mm -hmm. and, and what types of evolution are you are you seeing? Obviously, you know, again, we still have to be able to produce things, right? But are you seeing like obviously there's more automation that's getting wrapped into that and, and more sort of hands-off approach. But what other types of, of changes are you seeing, you know, people starting to strive for and grasp grasp at that might not necessarily quite be there yet today? That. Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing as the four-day work week really is taking off is people doing their highest and best work within their, their job roles or as you know a small business owner. If you're taking you know 20% of your week out, that doesn't mean you're going to have 20% less productivity or 20% less profits. Yeah. It just means that you're going to have to work on your very best use of your time. And, and so you know, knowing a little bit about you, you're going to work on real estate deals. You're going to work on these high level things. You're not going to work on the lower level. You're going to outsource those. You're going to yeah. you know, give those to somebody else. And so effective companies are often doing a few different formulas that, that we've discovered. One that we've used for years within my business practice of the practice is that we talk to our staff at least once a year, if not more, and ask them three really important questions. 
Because uh, the old way, you had your job role, you stayed in that role, you had the bullet points, and then you had other duties as assigned. And if you yeah. wanted to make more money, you became a supervisor. Uh, that model we've outgrown. And so this is an alternative to that model. And so you ask your staff member first, what are the things you're doing right now that you absolutely love? The things that you want to keep on your plate, that it just fills you up, you're excited about. So they list those out. Second, what are the things that you're doing right now that you hate, that you just would love to take off of your plate? And, and so then they can say, this is what I don't like about my job. And you're having that conversation instead of saying, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You know, we, we've got you hired for this. You got to keep doing it. And then the third question, I would actually argue this is the most important question. Where are you growing or where would you like to grow? What additional trainings can you get? What opportunities? How can you evolve into you know, a different type of staff member? And so, for example, I had a lady that came on first to do just really kind of simple graphic design. She was making those quote cards for our social media where you see different quotes from famous people and it's got yeah. your branding and your color scheme. So she was making those. And, and then she ended up doing a magazine for us. Then she took on all of our podcast show notes. And then as we talked, she said, I kind of hate doing the show notes. Like I have to listen to this podcast and basically transcribe. So we hired someone else to do that and took that off her plate. And then she said, you know, I'd love to learn some video editing and to be able to keep that in-house instead of us outsourcing it all the time. Yeah. And so yeah. then she went through some video editing and she continues to grow to where she's now our chief marketing officer overseeing our social media team, our website team, our video team. And so she's evolved into the exact kind of position that she wants. Yeah. And so when staff members feel like they're not just in a position now, but a year or two or three from now, if I outgrow this position, and I want to do something else. I know that I can do that and stay inside of this company. Yeah. Um, so that's, that makes it hard to have people come in and try to like steal that person for that role because they know that they're not going to have that same autonomy to develop their position in the future. Yeah, that's really, that, I, I really like that concept from a, from a, you know, from a retention standpoint, like you said, it, it's going to be difficult for anybody else to, to in, entice them away from, from the company. Have you ever found a, a, a situation, and, and I'm curious to see how you would approach this, if so, where, you know, the person basically said, you know, th they're hired to do this specific job or this specific task, and it's, you know, sorry, I, I just, I hate doing that, you know, is it, is that a, is that a, okay, well, you know, maybe this isn't the best position for you then, or is it, okay, well, what is it that you do want to do? And okay, let's, let's start transitioning you to that other, that other point. And, and let's say that again, I'm just throwing this out there, but let's say that this is like a CFO position, right? So you, you've got a, you've got a salary that's associated to this. So there's a certain, you know, price that you're paying for the specific task and they want to go in this completely different direction. How would you, how would you approach something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think first you have to look at, does that match the direction of the company? Because mm -hmm. they may want to evolve into something that that is outside of your company. Maybe it's outside of your vision or your direction. That may be the case. And then you have to part ways. There may be someone that 100% of their position they hate, but that's more of a, a life transition rather than yeah, evolution. I mean, yeah. in evolution, it's small incremental changes over time. It's not you know, I'm a fish and I want to be a human, you know, it takes like right, millions right. of years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so if we look at evolution within the business, it, it's more saying, what are these small steps? And so, for example, when Sam said, I don't want to do show notes, that doesn't mean that tomorrow you don't do show notes and that I'm just stuck figuring this out. This means that you're going to help with the hiring process. You're going to help with 
finding that person. You're going to help with, if you haven't written down or automated the processes, you're going to help with that. You're going to help with the teaching and the handoff. You're going to help with the oversight to make sure that it's good. So this may be a three-month process from from hire to complete handoff. But what's great about it is for one, it's outside of my time. I'm not then saying, here's how you do show notes or here's how you do this particular task. Um, Second, it's the lead person who's creating all of those systems. So now we have systems that there's cross-training. If if that new person has a maternity leave, the old person may not love it, but they can at least fill in if they need to. Uh, And so there's this this cross-training and this automation that's happening outside of my own time. And, And so I would say that more times than not, it's saying, well, is that an area we wanna grow in? So for example, you know, when Sam wanted to go through the video editing and training, that was something we were already outsourcing. We were already having my YouTube channel. We were hiring videographers. And she said, you know, I know this is within the realm of what practice of the practice wants to do. I would love to get trained in that to be able to do that more. So there, there does have to be a conversation there, but more times than not, it's just small incremental changes that make them create the job that, that they really want. Yeah, I love that. I love that. How did you how did you get into this? I mean, I know that you had your consulting business, but was there any, you know, was there something that was driving you toward this? Is this what you ultimately, you know, were sort of striving toward to to, you know, that you saw for yourself to, you know, I guess sort of evolve the way that that we all look at the work week? I mean, is that was that sort of yeah, your driving you know, force? It's really interesting how sometimes you realize that your career is more of a returning home than a like, you know, trajectory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still remember my, my freshman orientation at college and we sat down with the academic advisor and, and she said, all right, now it's time to make your schedule. You've got to pick one from each of these areas and then you can pick whatever else you want. And I, I said, you know, do we have to have classes on Friday? She said, no, do whatever you want. You only have to have 16 to 18 credit hours to be full-time. And I was like, wait, only 18 hours of class. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and so my first semester, I had no Friday classes. And then my second semester, I had no Friday classes. And throughout all of my undergraduate experience, there was only one semester I had a Friday class. And that's because a mandatory class was offered Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so I had to. So I took it at yeah. 8 a.m. on Friday to get it out of the way. Yeah. And, and then my first job out of graduate school, I negotiated to have a four-day work week. So I thought this was normal. I thought that people did this all the time that, yeah, you want to hire me? Great. I want a four-day work week. And then they said, okay. And then over time, I realized as I got into my career that that was less and less normal for people to do that. And so when I left my full-time jobs in 2015 to go into consulting, that first summer, I said, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to go back to that four-day work week. I'm going to take Fridays off. and We'll just see how that summer goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I still recommend that to my consulting clients or whenever I'm on these interviews to, to do some experiments first. Don't say, I'm doing the four-day work week and it's always going to be that way. No, like experiment with it. See what works. Every person kind of has their own way within their business. And you want to make sure that you respect that and use your own brain and don't just follow some prescription I give you. Yeah. So then every month was better than the month before. And in that fall, I said, okay, I'm going to stick with this four-day work week and then kept doing time experiments. And so as I did that personally and saw that I was freeing up more and more time while also leveling up because I was spending my time on the very best use of that time, Mm -hmm. then I started teaching the consulting clients, my membership community. And when it came time to write this book, it really was bringing together these things that I had taught for years and then looking at the research and, and the history and kind of where we got the seven day week and all these other things to kind of fill out the gaps to then say, I've been living Thursdays, the new Friday since, you know, I got to college. Yeah. Uh, now it's just a matter of how do we apply that in a way that, that goes beyond just do what Joe Sanok says and instead says, this isn't a prescription, it's a menu. And let me just show you some options you have here for you to be the smartest person in the room for yourself and to design your own schedule. 
Uh, yeah, I love that. It, it, so are your are your customers or clients, are they are they more the individual or is it more of a company who's coming to you to shepherd in this this new this new style of working? Yeah, I would say in general, it's usually the business owner that is okay. working directly with me. And, and usually it has to start with them first doing this on their own for them to let go of their often iron grip of their business and to say, hey, what would it look like for me to have a four day work week? Because yeah. you know, honestly, most business owners are working way more than five days a week and they're thinking about it constantly and they're not present for their families. So, so working with them individually, but then there's larger corporations like Nissan Infinity Canada brought me in to do a keynote speech and they bought a bulk book buy of a bunch of, of my books to, to give to the whole company. And so there are companies that are bringing me in, but usually it's still the top leadership that I'm working with. Because if you're just working with a mid-level manager that wants to do this, there are ways that you can do experiments to show the data, but it's a lot faster to just work with the C-suite and to say, okay, let's work with them with HR and say, how are we going to do some experiments here? And then over time, be able to actually uh, implement this beyond just, uh, you know, in one small department. Yeah. And what, what does that rollout typically look like when you're, when you're bringing this onto a, you know, onto a company, let's just say there's hundred people in the company. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I don't know if that's small, large, but, but, you know, is it, is it a phase rollout? Is it typically, you know, this department is typically first to go and then this department can go. Is there, is there any type of a structure to that? Or is it, is it pretty well different depending on each company, each business? I mean, I think it depends on if the company has already decided we're doing the four day work week. Now let's roll it out or mm -hmm. we're experimenting with the four day work week. So when, when people have switched, you know, it's going to be a much different marketing campaign to the staff. You're going to have conversations over boundaries, over when do we text our staff members? How do we communicate? Are we emailing on Fridays? Uh, so let's talk about when people are evaluating the four day work week, because that's when it gets kind of messier versus if they've already decided, then it's an easier rollout typically. Yeah. So, so when a company is evaluating whether or not they want to switch to the four day work week, what I typically suggest is that you have small teams of six to eight people. I mean, to have probably three of these teams at once. So in that hundred person company, you're looking for a department. And then within that department, you're looking for a team. And we want a team that's made up of people with very similar job roles. We mm. don't want to have an accountant and sales and creative and a front desk person. We want to have people that are all sales or they're all creative or they're all IT or at least as close as we can get within that company structure. Yep. Um, so that team with their supervisor will typically meet and talk about first, what are the KPIs, the key performance indicators that our team is already judged by? So is that you know, just gross sales? Is that, you know, client satisfaction? Is that how many tickets we get in and that we serve through the IT department? So figuring out what are the two, maybe three KPIs for that team that they're already judged on. So we're not starting from scratch. We're starting from, we already judge you on this. So let's look at, at how we're going to do that. So the next conversation after we've established the KPIs is for that team to establish what are the hard boundaries and what are the soft boundaries within this team in our free time? Because this whole mm -hmm. model is based on that if you can relax well, if you can disengage from work, you're going to be more creative and happier if you actually disengage. And so do we expect that after people's kids are in bed that they're on email at nine at night? Or do we say, that's not really helping me relax? Um, on Fridays, do we say that 
absolutely no one emails or is in Slack? Or do we need to have maybe someone 24 seven? Like if you have an IT department, you can't just say if someone's locked out from their password, well, you know, we're not going to help them. Yeah. You're going to have to have some of that troubleshooting ahead of time while also understanding there's going to be some things that come up during this experiment. Next, you're going to look at how long this experiment should be. A minimum of two months is typically what I recommend, because then you can go through a few waves. If you have one or two bad weeks, and then it's like, oh, this was a bad experiment, it just doesn't give you the time. But I wouldn't say doing more than one quarter, more than three months uh, for an experiment. So really, you're looking at two to three months for this experiment. Okay, so now we've established the norms for this team. We've established the KPIs. We've, we've looked at the longevity of how long this experiment's gonna go. So now when we jump into the experiment, the first meeting we wanna have each week is discussing the boundaries and how well they were held up for the previous week. Because again, we're starting with the slowing down, not the productivity. And so, hey, Jim, you sent me an email at nine o'clock on Wednesday. I came in Thursday morning, half the team had read it and responded. I felt out of touch there. We had said we weren't gonna be emailing in the evenings. What happened? And so that conversation then leads to, listen, there was a fire going on. We had to put it out. I didn't know what to do. Okay, so let's reverse engineer that fire and see if that's something that we need to now have an exception for our boundaries, or maybe we have some sort of new rules. So you're establishing what does that time outside of the office look like? Next, we're going to look at our weekly KPIs and report that out to the supervisor. Are we up 2%? Are we down 5%? And then give one, maybe two action items of how you're going to address that. So sales are down 5%. Why is that? What's going on? So that we know that we're not going to go two or three months and just be off target. And then the supervisor looks terrible. Yeah. So then at the very end, we're going to do a 360 review and report. We want to look at what worked, what didn't work. Were there any innovative solutions that came out of this because people were rested or less maxed out? Are there any qualitative things that we can look at, such as, you know, this entire team says, if this continued to be the schedule, they would love to stay here for the next 20 years. I mean, that doesn't mean they're signing a contract for it, but you know, the upper management, they want to retain people. So, so then we've got maybe three different teams that we can bring together those reports. We can say with this team, this worked and this didn't work. With this other team B, this worked and this didn't. And with team C, this worked and this didn't. What have we learned that now we can use as a company for our 100 person company that we can actually roll this out in a different way to again, then we would do an experiment for a quarter as a company and do the same thing only now company wide. I think what often happens is people say we're going to do the four day work week, and then they don't have any out if it's not a good fit, because um, it may be okay we're going to try this for a quarter. And you don't think that if those people have a four-day work week, that they're going to bust it. Like they're going to tear it up because they want to have a three-day weekend every weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. so taking the experimenter approach uh, allows that curiosity to emerge and teams to collaborate in ways that maybe in the past they wouldn't have. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I, I, and I love the, I love that there's a structured process where, you know, again, you're, you're going through and testing it and, and learning from that experience and, you know, sort of tweaking things as you go. Yeah, Joe, this is this is really, really cool. If if people want to learn more about you, obviously there's there's the book, you know, that they can pick up. Any any other resources to, to reach out and get in touch with you or learn more from you? Yeah, you know, the best website is just joesanok.com. It's where I have all my writings and also my keynotes. A few important things we have there is we're asking people to submit their experiments there. Uh, this isn't hmm. going to be me being the new Henry Ford. This is us as the post-pandemic generation saying, let's learn from each other. So we have a whole section right on the main page 
page called experiments. And so people can submit their experiments. They can say this worked, this didn't work. Here's how we thought through it so that we can learn from each other and learn from those experiments. Also, if people are hosting virtual book clubs that are open to the public, we'll post them there. Uh, we really want this to be a community of people saying we no longer are the industrial generation. We want to be moving into this new evolutionary approach. So let's do this together. So that's all over at joesanok.com and they can order the book wherever they get their books. So their local bookstore, Amazon, it's available October 5th. And there's also some bulk book buy things. If people get five or 10, we have some mastermind groups uh, over at Thursday is the new Friday.com. Love it. I love it, Joe. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for spending the time here on Pass the Secret Sauce. And uh, I can't wait to, to hear some more transition stories and some more experiments that, uh, that your readers and, and followers are, uh, are uploading. So this is something I, I, I want to experiment with some of our companies too and, and uh, you know, give this a go. So I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. No problem. Thanks for listening. And remember... Pass the secret sauce.